News Weekly is an ad-free listener-supported podcast made possible by listeners like you. So just go to patreon.com slash samishah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H, to support this podcast. Top Stories of the Week Your boss can't call you at home anymore, so now you can't pretend to take a work call when you're actually having an affair. Also, Pakistan has their next Prime Minister chosen for them. All that and more on News Weekly. Hello and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Dissing the disconnected news now. Australians have begun the difficult process of recovery after the city of Melbourne was struck by a devastating earthquake. Still in Victoria and parts of the state have been rattled by a 4.3 magnitude earthquake. The quake struck near the town of Leon Gatha at about 1 o'clock this morning. The tremor so strong it was felt by more than 4,000 people, including residents of Melbourne. There is no threat of a tsunami as a result of that quake. Four lawn chairs in St Kilda tipped over and at least one person in Melbourne just found out about the Friday morning earthquake by hearing this podcast. Although it might be why Barnaby Joyce fell down in Canberra. Bizarre footage of Federal MP Barnaby Joyce has been released this afternoon. Phone vision showing the former Deputy Prime Minister lying on his back on a busy Canberra street using profanities while on the phone. This is probably why the country has been too distracted to notice the new workplace changes laws being pushed by the Labour government. Luckily, here's a reporter from Channel 9 to explain them with all the excitement that might bring. Yes, this is a little bit duller, but it is pretty important. Look, it's a big win for the Labour government that you unions yesterday with these laws passing the Senate. Now, there's four main changes. Uh, The so-called right to disconnect. That means bosses who persist in calling workers outside of hours, well, a worker will be able to apply to put a stop order on that. Uh, Casual workers will have the right to convert to more secure work. Uh, Gig economy workers get more protections like super and overtime. And the really big one that business is unhappy about is if a dispute drags into arbitration at the tribunal, then basically unions can't lose any conditions at all. Those are some wide-ranging laws which could provide all kinds of new protection and job security for workers. So, which one is everybody excited about? Is it the chance for casuals to now gain permanent employment, thus ending extreme job insecurity caused by constantly having to apply for a contract renewal at the whims and fancies of a middle management exec who you hope isn't only capable of achieving arousal by saying the letters K, P and I in that order? What about workers now being able to ask for minimum standards in the gig economy, which means they can now get pay, penalty rates, superannuation, payment terms, record-keeping and insurance where previously gig workers had access to a chatbot that said, too bad, too sad, you're not actually fired because technically you don't work for us, you just use our app, hope you don't starve after earning $12 from 1,000 hours of delivering food to millennials too lazy to learn how to cook, who then leave you on a one-star rating because the food was cold even though they ordered from a restaurant on the other side of the city or the coldest night of the year. 
doesn't rhyme, but it works. Or maybe it's the change preventing the Fair Work Commission from changing workers' conditions in a way that makes them worse off during bargaining disputes, which was a previous ability they did have and was kind of like you saying, I'll pay you $2 for this mango, and me saying, how about $3 for a mango, and then the Fair Work Commission telling you, actually, the deal is you won't get any mango, but you will have to pay Sammy $5 and we all get to punch your stupid fucking face. Now say you're a naughty monkey and you had to do all of that. Did any of those make the headlines? In a connected world of mobile phones and laptop computers, disconnecting from work while at home can be difficult. Employees have the right to disconnect from their employers after hours. It's right to disconnect. So what have voters in the West made of the right to disconnect? It turns out there's nothing more exciting than muting your boss's phone call once you're home. That's true empowerment. Forget better pay and improved job security. It's the ability to ignore your employer, who will definitely not then hold that against you come next appraisal. So who came up with that shallow and unworkable idea and made the entire work changes bill dependent on something that isn't enforceable in the real world? And can the Greens celebrate this victory without a lazy catchphrase? When you clock off, you'll be able to switch off. Guess not. Still, at least with the Greens plus independents like the Minister for Inane Drama Lydia Thorpe and the Minister for Push-Ups David Pocock on board, it's likely to pass. The opposition is against the new laws. Or lawmaking in general, it seems. This government just loves making rules. They love making laws, don't they? About things that, in all honesty, should be common sense. Shadow Finance Minister Jane Hume there wishing for a world without seatbelts, childhood vaccinations or jail time for criminals. It's all big government gone mad, I tell you. Governments shouldn't be making laws. They should shut up and focus on using their travel allowance as much as they can before getting jobs in the private sector as lobbyists. It's what the Anzacs died for. Don't worry about the opposition, though. Once they see poll numbers on how popular the changes will be, they'll support them. It's what they did with the Stage 3 tax cuts. And while not thrilled with the policy and promising to try to amend it during parliamentary debate, coalition MPs and senators couldn't ignore the extra $800 a year, which will flow for most low- and middle-income earners. We're supporting this change not to support the Prime Minister's lie, but to support those families who need help now. Peter Dutton there now showing care and concern for low-income earners that he couldn't show when his party came up with the original Stage 3 tax cuts in the first place. Still, don't ask him about that, especially if you're an ABC journal. I just think it's such an ABC perspective, if I might say. Um, all the culture that's so far left within the ABC just seems to permeate through many questions uh, when you go on to... A now, program like let this. Me, and, let, and that's let me, the, that's let me ask difficult. why you would characterise it in those terms. If we look at the situation, I there think was widespread agreement. I think that the only journalist that's putting that analysis there, apart from The Guardian, uh, apart from you know, some of the other left-wing online publications, uh, the fact is that we are more united than ever in the Liberal Party. Nobody's looking backwards. Uh, we are holding the government to account. The reason the Prime Minister has acted to break his promise and to lie to the Australian public is because of the pressure that we've put him under. And while that response might not have endeared him to the polyamorous bisexual wokes who staff the ABC, it was received with calm appreciation at the centre of unbiased and balanced journalism in Australia, Sky News. Oh, bias at the ABC, Andrew. Say it ain't so. I mean, we'd be surprised if it was any different, wouldn't we? But, but credit goes to Peter Dutton because he did push back on her and he repeatedly pointed out her bias. The best thing about that exchange is how Dutton calls out the ABC bias. Good on him. 
Peter Dutton realising then that if you've lost the support of the general public and been forced into a corner by Labour that will lose you the support of the upper classes as well, then as long as everyone at Sky News After Dark still loves you, at least someone does. The King's Diagnosis News now. If there's one thing the British can be counted on, other than bad food and bad teeth and bad weather and bad takes on their own colonial history, but okay, that's four things. Well, the one more thing is bad reactions to anything to do with the royal family. We've received breaking news from Buckingham Palace, which has announced that the King has been diagnosed with cancer. The cancer diagnosis came off the back of a benign enlarged prostate procedure and King Charles has now stepped aside from his royal duties, which, let's remind everyone, he only got to start doing as a king last year. There's really no right time for something as terrible as cancer, but this does feel particularly mean. And of course, as is normal in such a time, his family is there to care for him as well. Prince William stepped into certain roles while the king began his treatment. And Prince Harry has rushed back to be with his father, which is a normal thing to do. And just in the last few moments, there has been a brief statement through from Prince Harry, the Press Association saying that Prince Harry has spoken to the king about his cancer diagnosis. The Duke did speak to his father about his diagnosis and he will be travelling to the UK to see His Majesty in the coming days. Like I said, perfectly normal. The royals are, lest we forget, human after all. And in times of crisis, like when a family member is diagnosed with cancer, they gather around and support each other. Unless you're British, apparently, in which case that's seen as hysterical behaviour that's highly unseemly. His behaviour, Harry's behaviour, is beyond imagination, actually. If some, your father is ill or anyone you care about is ill, you try and make it something they would want. Is it all right? I would love to come and see you. I'm sorry things have been so bad. Can we please talk and spend some time together. Uh, where are you going to be in London, in Sandringham? I, I would love to come. Tell me when it suits you. Instead of which, he just said he was on his way, make a drama, get to the front page, which he did, and um, actually make the king really agitated because he had the helicopter waiting to take him to Sandringham and he needed peace and quiet, as anyone might. Uh, when they've had such a very difficult um, time. The poor king was made uncomfortable in his helicopter that had to take him to his private estate, the poor chap. This is why there's never a satisfying reaction on any British episode of Antique Roadshow. Every time it's, I bought this for a penny and a cup. Yes, well, it's now worth two million pounds. Oh, jolly good. That is quite nice indeed. Meanwhile, everyone is, of course, hoping King Charles receives the treatment he needs to fight the cancer. But it might not be the treatment he wants. Any idea what's going on? Well, I think what's going on is that the king, I'm speculating, but the king is a great fan, is always promoter of alternative medicine. He would not be one for chemotherapy. He's always argued against it. <sighs> They're going to have to change the face on the currency again, aren't they? Election selection news now. This year is going to see some major changes, with many countries due to have their general elections. The big one, of course, is the United States, with a sitting president who can't remember what year it is. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France looked at me. 
Biden there confusing France for Germany, which isn't as bad as confusing Macron for Mitterrand, who died in 1996. Which happens, I guess, as does forgetting which country is on the other side of the Gaza Strip. Initially, the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. Abdul Fateh al-Sisi, by the way, is the president of Egypt, although this does go a long way to explain Biden's continued support of Israel. He's worried about Gazan refugees fleeing into Texas. Then there's an election in India, where Modi will face off against whoever is left from the opposition Congress party that he hasn't had thrown in jail. Bangladesh already had its election, where Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina won her fifth term, or as Australians call it, the full Howard. Taiwan rejected Chinese influence in its election. Indonesia is searching for a new leader this year as well, while South Africa will continue to see if the ANC can continue to win on its platform of endemic corruption and bashed windscreens at traffic lights. Mexico has an election in June to see who will be the new president of Egypt, and Russia and Iran will pretend to have elections just because they don't want to feel left out of all the fun. Right now, it's Pakistan's turn, where the military that controls things is doing its best to pretend as though popular cricketer-turned-politician-turned-chronic-divorcee Imran Khan isn't the clear winner. Polls opened at 8 in the morning local time and closed about two hours ago. The vote took place without the former Prime Minister Imran Khan. He has been imprisoned on charges including corruption and was prevented from contesting. And in a widely criticised move, the authorities unexpectedly cut mobile phone and mobile internet services because of what they call deteriorating security. Because if there's one thing that makes things more secure, it's no one being able to post videos of vote rigging to Insta. Secure for the military-supported political parties at any rate. Despite that, the turnout for Khan was immense. So immense, his party members, who stood as independents, seemed likely to sweep the elections. The military-backed Pakistan Muslim League, led by Nawaz Sharif, was the early favourite to win. The ballots from Thursday's election are still being counted in several regions, but early tallies indicate that independent candidates backed by jailed former Prime Minister Imran Khan are doing better than expected. It seems like the will of the people cannot be denied for a little while anyway, because the election commission announced a delay in the results, dragging them into an overnight count, and the next morning, Pakistanis have woken up to a very different result. I can try to make sense, help you make sense of these results. People here are trying to make sense of them because they went to sleep last night, they stayed up till the early hours of the morning, watching some of those results coming from those polling stations that put independence clearly ahead in many areas across Pakistan. They went to bed, they woke up, to find, in some cases, a set of very different results. In one case, the Pakistan Muslim League put it up on its official Twitter account, a form from one of those polling stations here in Lahore, and the number of valid votes, excluding the invalid votes, is higher than the total number of votes cast, which makes no sense whatsoever. It's a literal case of you snooze, you lose. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. Like I always say, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star review and rating, and that will really help the podcast. Tell your friends all of that jazz. The uh, video for the 100th episode of News Weekly is still up on YouTube. You can watch that, as well as my last free comedy special recorded last year at the Melbourne National Comedy Festival in 2023. I'm not doing one this year in 2024, but I will do more live News Weeklies and comedy shows and stuff like that, etc., etc. Otherwise, you can always keep up with information about me by heading over to my Patreon 
Patreon, you don't actually have to pay to join the Patreon. I think you can just subscribe for free as well. And I make most of the posts free as well for people. Uh, but if you do pay, it does help the podcast a lot. And I always appreciate that greatly. Otherwise, I'll see you right back here next week on News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines. That's right. You guessed it. Weekly. Weekly.